Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 71. And this week, I'm a little late. Life got a little bit crazy. But I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And this week, I am still talking about historical romances. This is going to be part two. There will possibly be more parts. I haven't yet decided. But anyway, part two, um, which I have sort of, you know, titled kind of sort of Frontier Colonies Settlements sharecropping what um and in case you were like i don't know what that really means i want to talk about historicals set in the united states specifically um and this is why i say i think i want to still do more another part because i'd like to maybe uh later on look at historicals set outside of both the uk and the United States, but I'm not there yet. Let me not get ahead of myself. Right now, we're talking about historicals set in the U.S. of A. a, 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 a. So, uh, you're probably wondering, well, why, why, Esther? Why, why are you talking about this? Here's the thing, guys. If you've been listening to the podcast, right? If you listened to the very first episode where I talked about how I fell into romance, the very first book that I. Uh, <clears throat> smuggled out of the library to my home to read by you know street lamp light was a historical actually and it was a historical set in the u.s i do not remember the title i do not remember the author and if after you hear me describe this you know what it is please please i'm telling you let me know i've also you know like haven't really like searched i just am like i know it existed because i read it but i was like 11 and a half whatever anyway this very first book that i read at that time back in the day um was um i guess it from today's sort of standard and tropes it would be definitely forced proximity uh, consent was probably questionable now that i think about it um not great on that um if i'm remembering it I don't remember a lot of details, so I have a feeling it was probably a little like, oh, girl, oh, no. Um, but the hero was a Native, I believe he was full Native American. I honestly can't remember if he was full or half. Either way, he was from a, you know, an indigenous tribe whose, you know, entire way of life was being decimated, destroyed. And, you know, I feel like he'd either lost family or like family had been killed by the antagonist or something along those lines so he kidnaps the heroine who happens to of course be a white woman who is engaged to like a british sort of army person i want to say general not constable no it was a general or whatever the ranks are for those things lieutenant corporals whatever those rankings are and one that's like pretty important right like whatever military ranking is like pretty pretty close to the top top not like you know but pretty you're not just like some regular grunt just following orders you're giving or also an officer i guess whatever i don't whatever so she's engaged to him um but this is because it's a historic this is an arranged sort of thing she knows very little about him it's more one of those like my father arranged this kind of thing and I guess this is what's happening and I don't really like feel any way about it I don't really uh, but I don't really know anything about this man because whatever and this is more of like 
you know, being pushed by her family kind of thing. At least that's what I remember. So our hero is like, oh, that's his fiance. I'm going to kidnap her so he knows what it's like to lose something that matters to him. And she's all kind of like, I barely know this man. And of course, they end up, I believe it's some cabin of his that obviously no one else can find because no one else is good at tracking, yada, yada. And of course, they're there and then they fall in love and oh my goodness. And I feel like the hero and the antagonist do have some sort of fight and then that man dies. Um, But I'm not 100% and she, of course, ends up happily ever after. For a brief moment there, I'm wondering if there's some sort of battle and a lot of her family dies. But I could just be making that up, right? I don't know for sure. But I definitely know she gets kidnapped by him. They are, you know, in the woods alone. They fall in love. And um, now looking at it with what I know, it's like, oh, okay, interesting. Very much leaned into the, you know, uh, he is a, you know, savage kind of trope, which is like, oh, so why was we lean into that kind of a stereotype? But at the same, but I'm guessing that's based on the fact that this was written probably in the late 80s or 90s. And a lot of people, a lot of people writing thought that that was perfectly fine, right? Like that's totally cool to classify people in a certain way because that's what we do. So would I probably read it again now? I would want to read it to see like what, like what I would think of it now as an adult who's been reading romance for so long. But at the time I was just like, I think the back blurb must have interested me. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, hijack this. Like, he hijacked her. Um, and I read it at home. So, realizing that. Because I've definitely, um, I think I mentioned this last episode. There are people who are just kind of like historicals. Oh, girl, what? I'll read those. But I'm thinking, well, that's literally where I started. Like, it's not even, like, I literally started. Uh, my first adult romance was a historical. And... Obviously, I was constrained by whatever the public library that I was closest to had. So if that library had noticed that they had a high readership for historical romance, then that's clearly what they were going to carry. Of course, I know this as an adult, but like as a kid, I don't know this. I say all this to say um, I've been reading historicals for a very long time. And yes, when we're on the other side of the pond and it's all, you know, Dukes, Viscounts, Viscounts, whatever, Marquises, Marquises, what you know, whatnot, Barons. There is, you know, a focus on. Um, I want to say that there is very much a focus on what is happening with the couple, and depending on the author, there may be touching on on what's happening in society, but that's not really part of the story. I feel like that's different for U.S. historicals. Because in some cases, for example, if you're setting books during and before, you know, the War of Independence, if if you're setting it um, at a time period where the characters would have been, you know, organizing and fighting to free themselves from, you know, British rule, it would be weird to read a book set in that time period knowing what we know now and did not see any of that on the page it would seem a little odd a little off a little hmm I think what's really interesting is that if when you're set in the UK you don't have to really acknowledge or talk about what's happening on a global level 
Because if you're speaking, if you're speaking on or writing on specific elements of society, they might not have really had anything to do with what was going on in the outside world. And during this time, right, like women don't have, you know, the right to vote and their property. So like, you know what, it's easier to believe that at that time period and on that side of, you know, the, the planet, women can sit around, you know, and do mending and talk about hyper-local things and never really touch on things happening outside of their local area. There is mention, like, whenever books are set anywhere around the wars with Napoleon, there's some mention of that. And of course, you've got, you know, men who come back from war. But again, none of these books are set at the literal war scenes. Like, none of this is set. Like, I cannot tell you the number of books that I've read that are historicals that reference Waterloo and the battles of Waterloo and the carnage at Waterloo. Nothing is said at Waterloo, though. I'm sure... I have no idea. Nothing is set there. It is all set at a distance from Waterloo. And again, this is romance, right? So some people are going to be like, well, yes, Esther, that's why it's set. You know, like, we don't want to see body parts just fly into the... Which, sure, but we do see, like, blood and gore and that kind of thing in other romance subgenres that aren't historical, right? Uh, romantic suspense definitely has people being blown up and murder and blood flowing and you know like things happening so I wonder what so to that I ask like what is it specifically about being said on you know in the British Isles specifically that has everyone sort of being like we're going to briefly talk about the horrors of war um because I feel like the only times I've ever really seen at least acknowledgement and going into and again from a removed viewpoint is if the hero or heroine was directly involved with the war effort or at war or you know came back injured came back missing a leg missing an arm missing a hand missing eyes missing heavily scarred presumed dead um all of those kinds of things but again, the story is never taking place anywhere near that sort of battlefront. It's always far, far away at home. Flip over to the U.S. side, and I feel like love stories are taking place, or romance historicals are necessarily taking Again, again, depends on the time period. Because when you're talking about Gilded Age, which I think is late 1800s, early 1900s, I need to look it up. You're not really seeing that, but... I feel like when you see historical set, for example, around um, the Civil War or the War of Independence, you're seeing a little more of, you know, like people literally hiding or running from, you know, soldiers um, and all of that. And again, I'm generalizing. You're going to be like, actually, Esther, there's all of these that completely disprove your generalization right the fuck now. And I'm going to be like, I know, but that was just saying that it feels like an overarching theme to me, specifically based on what I've read. Now, at the same time, right, um, that I'm reading, oh, because there's also like, I guess what I would consider, what I would consider like, 
Western, because there's cowboy romance, but when I hear cowboy romance, I'm thinking a little bit more contemporary, like romance about cowboys set in today's world. So think of Diana Palmer, you know, uh, we've got a ranch or many ranches and we've got cattle and the price of beef and, you know, that kind of conversation. That's sort of what I think of when I think of cowboy romances. But when I think of Western romances, I definitely think in the past, and it's romances that may or may not portray uh, the literal, like, uh, you know, genocide of the indigenous people. Um, And so this is this weird, like, Either the indigenous people are like not terrible and you get like the sim or they are terrible and it, it, it can get real, real, real murky, real murky um, over there. So you've got also got that going on. Um, and I also recently read two Lisa Claypas that were set in Louisiana, Baton Rouge specifically, and I will talk on that later. Because what I want to talk about now, and you're like, mm, tell us, Beverly Jenkins. Now, if you've listened to me before, I feel like by now you should know I'm a big fan. I really love her books. I really love her historicals. I don't recall seeing Beverly Jenkins in the library when I was growing up. I do recall seeing Beverly Jenkins in the library when I was probably in my early 20s and kind of sort of stopping and being like, those are black people on the cover of a romance novel in period dress what and me like quickly scampering over to be like let's read the back blurb um and then being kind of like wait why didn't i know about this where have i been what is going on hmm questions and so beverly's books are her her historicals have been really really fascinating so i read multiple books at a time like I'm out here reading one book and then I finish it and I turn in. No, I'm out here reading one book and then a second book and then a third. And I will sometimes read multiple historicals. I have realized I cannot read like that's I was going to say I cannot read multiple historicals with Dukes at the same time. But I do that. Sometimes I do get confused. So I'm like, wait, wait. And I'm like, ah, damn it. Which Duke, which Duke is this? Which which baron is this? Which which earl is this? Ah. Well, other times I'm fine. But I've definitely read like a book with a Viscount and then a Beverly Jenkins because totally different. And her books. So the one I want to specifically talk about today. Do I want to start that now? Yeah, we're going to we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right in. We're going to jump into Always and Forever. Um, it's a gorgeous, you know, beautiful blue background of a cover. Clinch couple on the front. He's got, he's shirtless, which I love. He's wearing blue jeans. She's wearing like a gorgeous skirt that, of course, is she's showing some leg and a, a white um off the shoulder top. And she's a redhead. And it's just a gorgeous cover. There's like, you know, flowers at the bottom. It's beautiful. So I had purchased this. I think I was just at um, the Lip Bar in the Bronx. And it was like the only Beverly Jenkins they had. And I was like, yeah, buying this. Like, I, you know, I don't really ask questions when it comes to her books. I'm just like, ah, a book. Do I have it? No, bye. Um, so I picked it up. And then I think after was like, what is this about? <laughs> I mean, I've just purchased it. But what, what, what am I going to be reading? 
And the story is Grace Atwood, our heroine, is going to be leading a wagon train of women down to Kansas City because her cousin has sort of been like, uh, I'm down here in a colony. We need wives. Is there any way you could help out? She's in Chicago. So it's like, oh, I can ask around in Chicago, get together a bunch of women and go. But you need someone to lead you in this expedition. And that's where our hero comes in, Jackson Blake. He's a former lawman. He knows what he's doing. And is like, sure. I mean, you know, at first he's like, oh, hell nah. Whole wagon train full of women. But then eventually it's like, okay, cool. I, I can do this. So these are our two main characters. I start reading it. And I get to, I don't remember what point I get to. It's when all the women are being introduced and a character you know, introduces herself, Lorelai. And I was like, I've read her book, right? Lorelai is from A Chance at Love, which I'd read before, not realizing. So as I read this book, I realize when I get to the end of this book, uh, there's a note from Beverly Jenkins saying that this book, Always and Forever, exists because her fans, her readers, really loved the mention, the brief mentions of this couple of Grace and Jackson in Topaz, which is Kate and Dix's book. And I was like, oh, I really liked mentions of them in this book. I didn't even realize they had a book. And then, of course, Lorelai, I had already read her book um, with Jake. So I was like, oh. And technically speaking, also, Jackson's brother, Jackson, Oh, Jackson's brother, Jack. No, his brother's name is Griffin. He has the book. His book is called The Taming of Jesse Rose, which I have also read. And it also has a gorgeous sort of clinch cover. And I think, I think Griffin on that cover is also shirtless. So maybe that's like sort of a, a way to connect the two. Because looking at the two, um, they have similarities. Anyway, I start reading this. And if you've never read Beverly Jenkins historical, Beverly includes a lot of history you get a lot of historical information you're getting a love story for sure you're getting a romance you're getting happily ever after it's not closed door people are having sex it's happening on the page there's no like oh i did and then and then no it's all there but you're also getting history and i say this because or i point this out because as you're reading um for example I think I had mentioned last week how when you're reading those sort of, you know, UK set historicals, there's this almost idea that readers know what the world kind of looks like, right? So you don't necessarily have to do in-depth world building because everyone's like, yes, Dukes and Balls and Almax for, I don't remember what Almax is for, and Gentlemen's Clubs and, you know, Hyde Park and going in a Lando or a carriage or is it brogam brogam however you say that word there is enough sort of shared info about this specific part of the world during this time that if you're writing books at that time you don't necessarily have to go into massive detail as to what everything is because for readers who've been reading in these kinds in this sort of setting they already sort of know certain conventions right this idea that women can only waltz with the same man twice i've seen this in so many books so at this point i don't i don't question it i don't raise an eyebrow i'm just like ah oh, yes <laughs> 
Yes, of course. Uh, and then a third dance is like improper or oh scandalous or blah, 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 blah. Beverly Jenkins books. I think one of the things that I, I really appreciate is that because she is showing us, right, the African-American experience specifically, and even though, right, this is a book in set in U.S. history, she is very much aware that a lot of people do not know the history, are unaware of the history. The history is not known well enough and broadly enough to make the assumption that people will understand exactly why things are how they are. There are certain things that I think are sort of universal for certain swaths of historical novels. Uh, It's pretty clear or understood that women are in the process of fighting for rights, but they don't have them. So you're reading and you're not like confused that women don't necessarily have the right to vote or confused that women don't necessarily have the right to just go wherever they want, whenever they want, Uh, that they may need chaperones, that there may be certain things that are just seen as completely unacceptable. Children out of wedlock is like literally no bueno. It doesn't matter which side of the pond. It's, It's pretty much accepted. But there are other things that, are happening in Beverly's books that she gives you context for. And I think part of it, for me, it enriches the story, but I also think it's done because she is aware that people aren't going to have that context because you don't see that in other books, right? It's very easy to read. I mean, I'm thinking of that very first historical I read. I don't think there was any references to slavery or Black people or slaves, um how right it's it's how i'm pretty sure if i recall the heroine of that book you know lived on a plantation and yet and yet do you see what i'm see where i'm going with that so miss jenkins is like i'm going to give you information so it starts off with stuff as as to me as simple and basic as there is a wagon train of women going from Chicago to Kansas City. This is a time period where trains exist. So maybe your first question is like, why didn't they just get on the train? And then the explanation that Jim Crow. And for someone who didn't grow up in the United States and has learned about Jim Crow as an adult, and even I'm assuming for a lot of us, Jim Crow is not something that's like taught in schools. You are able through this story and others to see how the what we consider to be something really far removed and in the past and not even for some people real how it would have affected people at that time so the reason why grace is like we're going to literally go by wagon with animals with mules and horses is because of the fear that you could get on a train having paid your fare and A, be told to sit in cattle cars because other people don't want you near them. Or B, have the conductor completely remove you from the train, leave you in the middle of nowhere. And there's no refund, right? You've paid your fare. But they've decided, due to Jim Crow laws, that you don't get to ride because someone might be uncomfortable or some people might not be happy with that. And so to avoid that 
situation, even though clearly traversing from Chicago to Kansas City by wagon has its own set of dangers and fears, it still was preferable to riding on a train. Now, this book specifically for me, there is Jackson wants to avenge his father's death. And ultimately, Jackson himself isn't able to do so. Is his father's death avenged in that do the people who are responsible for his death die? Yes. Is it Jackson specifically? No. And the way that Jackson is treated is very, very, very real. And there was a brief part of me that was like, I know this is a romance and I know I get an ETA, but oh God, what is about to happen here? Like there was a brief moment where I was like, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, no, 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 this can't be happening because I need a happy ending. Um, and reading it, right, reminded me, right, of this, um, of the difficulties and the I can't imagine what it must be like to have lived and grown up. And we may even be able to relate to today. To know that injustice has happened. And to know that there's nothing you can do. And that to even attempt it is to run the risk of your own life. And the risks uh, in the lives of those who you love. And not having any recourse. Because no one cares that injustice has happened to you and your loved ones. Um, seeing that was like, oh, um, and so one of the things that I was thinking as I was reading this book specifically was what would other historical romance look like if it had this level of history, if it really gave us so much more information about history itself at that time, that that book is set like what would those books look like what would it feel like to read romance novels that are not leaving um the historical truths of the time off the page you know not lying through omission by not including them by but stating them there stating them baldly and continuing to write the story because it isn't like during this these time periods, people aren't meeting and falling in love. Of course, there's also, you know, people having arranged marriages and arranged situations. But there's definitely people falling for each other. It's not like, oh, love is a completely, utterly modern, you know, after 1910 kind of concept. It's not. So what would historicals look like if we were willing to see on the page more of the actual history happening right um and how would that enrich stories and how would that change the caliber and the type of stories that authors might be telling if they're focusing or not focusing but including more of the actual history now there are definitely authors that are willing to you know have historicals where the heroines are doing are have roles or professions that are 
quote-unquote ahead of their time or are sort of pioneering. Um, But I am really curious now to think of like what would a lot of the historicals I love look like if there was more of the actual history of the time periods being included and factored into the actual storylines. Now, for U.S. historicals specifically, I, aside from Beverly Jenkins, I really haven't read any others. Uh, there was a Joanna Shoup book that I read. I It didn't work for me. It did not work for me at all. I wanted to punch the heroine in the face. I didn't like her. I thought he wasted his time with her. I was not pleased. I know a lot of people loved it and I'm happy it worked for them. I'm bummed it didn't work for me. Um, It's set in New York, I believe Gilded Age. I don't remember the title because that's how aggravated I was. I was not pleased. I got to the end of the book and I was kind of like, really? Really though? Um, She'd wanted to set up her own sort of like gambling den or whatever, but no, it didn't work for me. It did not work for me. And a lot of it had to do with I did not like the heroine at all. Um, and then aside from that other one, the most recent ones that I can think of um, that I've read are the two Lisa Claypas that I think I mentioned in an earlier episode. They're set in Louisiana. And the first book, it's the father and because, OK, it's two books. Uh, I think it's the Valorants, I think is the family name. And in the first book, we meet the father and he's got his two young sons. They're twins. But they're, I want to say they got to be like 12, maybe, maybe 13. It's They're not babies, babies, but they're not fully grown either. They're somewhere in between, below 15, I believe. And he ends up with, um, I forget the woman's name, but he ends up with her. She's trying to escape um marriage to some horrible older man that she's not interested in and her father's uh abusive and terrible and then this guy is like that other man's mortal enemy kind of thing and then everyone's like oh but he killed his wife like da 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 all this jazz anyway was it terrible no was it great no like was it like top tier Lisa Clavis absolutely not <laughs> no but it wasn't that I didn't at first think it was that bad there were you know questionable Consent was definitely iffy there, and I think it's because it's old enough that it was written at a time where a lot of authors were writing, like, arrogant sort of alpha-centric type heroes who just took what they wanted. And, you know, of course the woman wanted it. She just kept saying no, but, like, she wanted it. And today it's like, no, maybe she literally said no for a good reason. And what the fuck? But in that time, it's like, oh, she really means yes. Which, again, reading it now is like, oh, good God, what? So then I end up reading the second book. The second book is weird. And I say this because the second book. So the two sons, right, who are twins. We start the book out with the quote-unquote good twin and his wife on a ship back from France. They're heading back to Louisiana. Like He basically went to pick up his wife to meet, his, meet and marry his wife in Paris. Now he's headed back home. And then their ship gets attacked by pirates. And we presume that the good twin is dead. And she gets captured because she's not dead. 
And then this other pirate who has a different name than we've, we haven't seen this name before ends up rescuing her when she happens to mention that, you know, who her husband is. And as you're reading, you realize, oh, this character whose name we don't know is, you know, um, the bad twin. And a part of me was like, did she really write a romance where one of them, wow, my roommate's cat decided right now to be loud? Really, Bernie? Really, Bernie? Really? He will just like randomly, I'm just going to share with you guys. He will just randomly pick up some like weird, creepy toy of his. And just start like meowing like a little punk. The rest of the time he's not meowing. But now, now he's literally spent all day not making any noise. And now when I'm recording, earlier when I was playing music, silent as a lamb. Now though, he's like, this is when I'm an asshole and I make noise. Anyway, so I start reading it and I'm thinking, am I really reading a romance where... She sacrificed one twin brother so the other twin brother could have a happily ever after? I mean, seems kind of crappy, but okay. Except it gets weirder because the twin is not dead. But homegirl, you know, the widow is falling for the brother. What? What? And then it turns out that the good brother had actually been crazy in love with this Irish maid, but she was Irish. And he was, you know, because the Valorans are supposed to be like a pretty established, well-known, you know, Louisiana family with a lot of power, this, that, and the other. And so basically what ends up happening is that for a brief period, the bad twin pretends that he's the good twin who's been saved from the pirate ship. So he doesn't get hanged because everyone knows that the bad twin is a pirate. Then they end up rescuing the good twin and then the bad twin is having to hide. And then eventually the good twin is like, you're right to the, his wife, his, technically his wife. Um, I do love homegirl, the Irish girl. And basically they set each other free and he goes off with his Irish love and she ends up with his twin brother and then they end up leaving. And I think the book ends in their... Um, going to set up their family home or whatever in some part of France. And I remember I got to the end of that and I was like, really, Lisa? Really, Lisa Kleypas? You thought that made sense? So that one was wild. So those are the sort of final examples that I have, or most recent examples, sorry, of US-based romance. And what I think is really interesting, um, as I'd mentioned earlier with like Beverly's book, in Lisa's books in those two there is mention of what's sort of happening about this is currently where louisiana is still not a u.s colony or whatever it is i believe still tied to the french uh the americans are you know coming in but they're separate and distinct uh louisiana society or baton rouge society is just kind of like americans like oh no um and there's definitely um, the backdrop of what's happening with Louisiana as a state is part of the backdrop of the story. Now, if this story was taking place same time period, but in the UK, there might not be any mention of, you know, major issues between the colony and the empire. Because 
an author can just be like, nope, we're not even going to touch on it. Lisa's other historicals, right, which I've read quite a bit, um, are predominantly set. She does like to have, you know, heroes who um, are merchants or are coming from the Americas to maybe find a wife in the UK. Um, and there are, you know, mentions of class. I mean, Mary Winterbourne, I think, is really interesting because Reese Winterbourne is... You're seeing in that book and in Cold Hearted Rake, um, the changing of industry, right? It's everything is re- very real heavy. But in Marrying Winterbourne, you're moving from individually shopping at little boutique stores or whatever to shopping within a department store. Like that is a brand new concept that is sort of having its like massive growth at this time and we're seeing that through that book so you're seeing a different kind of history right you're seeing that kind of but in general I I think it's really interesting that if it's said in the U.S. there is a lot more emphasis on the like what's literally happening in terms of and it might also have to do with the fact that like at these time periods right the U.S. is expanding. There are, you know, fights over land, over territory, over colonies, over expansion. Um, and at this point in time in um, the United Kingdom, there is none of that. <laughs> that has all been decided. To see that kind of struggle, to see that kind of level of war and destruction and, like, literal fight for land, you have to then go f- much farther back, right? Right. Then you got to sort of go into medieval times, which maybe I'll do an episode about medieval and slash Highlander, because that's also a completely different area, I think, of historical. And it has its own sort of um, associated or known, I I don't know if conventions is the right word, but there's certain things that you kind of are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see X, Y and Z when you're thinking of medieval or and or you know like set before i'm guessing the 1700s in you know scotland or england um and again my next question there is still well last week i asked like we're not seeing um these historicals set in different parts of europe and in this case i now need to go looking for historical set in other parts of the americas there's definitely this emphasis on the United States. I can't ever think of reading a historical set in Canada, which is interesting because like fur trapping, right? Whaling off the coast of Newfoundland. Um, Like there's definitely, and there's no way that there isn't like, like different parts of Canada didn't have their own, you know, minor levels of society and whatnot. Um, And then of course we've got the rest of, We've got North Mexico. Sometimes when books are set in Texas or California bordering Mexico, there is mention of that struggle of there's a there's a Beverly Jenkins book that I it's part of the Destiny trilogy. And in that in this, I believe it's the second book. The hero, um, is he's no longer really able, he's a lawyer, but it, 
starts to become clear in that book that he's probably going to have to stop practicing law. It's not going to be something he can continue to do. I believe it's Destiny Surrender. Yes. Um, and he is Mexican-American. And he talks about how a lot of his clients were, you know, Mexican nationals who end up, you know, as the border moves around them and their land, um, they're trying to fight to make, hold on to their land and it's being taken from them. So there is some mention of that, but we don't really see like full on into Mexican sort of society and then definitely nothing farther down. Like what is happening, you know, for example, wouldn't there maybe be people going from Mexico down to Colombia and back? And if so, like, what does that look like? I don't know. Maybe there are historicals, but I have to, like, go find them. They're not, you know, when you go and you look at historical romance in the library or anywhere, it's, again, dukes, viscounts, earls. Sometimes there are authors who are choosing now to not necessarily focus on the ruling class in the UK, but, you know, just below that. Um, And then, of course, in the US, you know, the cream of society. But I'm curious to see, like, what would historicals look like outside of those sort of areas? Um, I also randomly don't think... Well, I know I haven't read, but I'm wondering if it ex- it has to exist. Historical set in, for example, Australia, right? Because that's like, you know, like what does a historical look like of someone who had was pressed into bondage and, you know, sent to the colony of Aus- what would become Australia? Um, I don't think I've read any. I've definitely remember reading, um, you know, books about cattle stations in Australia. I feel like those were all Harlequins, but those aren't historical historical. Like those are set in, you know, the eighties, which give it another 20 years and that'll be historical, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so it's very interesting to me how the the backgrounds of what's happening in life show up or don't show up in books, right? I definitely wish that there was, like, more of the history. I do get that some people are like, no, but it takes away from the romance. I think if a writer does it well, it adds richness to the story, right? It adds layers so that you're really sort of understanding you know, the motivations of characters and the reasons for why things are happening. But that's me, right? And we are all different, so we can agree to disagree. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of what... I have more thoughts about Beverly Jenkins' little um, connections there. But I'm going to pause here, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk about that, okay? All right. I'll be back. Okay, so I wanted to sort of touch on, you know, or focus a bit more on the book Always and Forever and how it links to the some of the other books. If you really, really hate spoilers and it makes you, like, irrationally angry and want to, like, punch me through the screen, maybe don't listen to fully to this part because I don't know why I keep doing that with my mouth. Anyway, you're like, what? Don't worry about it. Um, 
But I really wanted to sort of talk about what I really enjoy about this kind of world building um, in a way. So always and forever, when you pick it up, like it looks like it's a standalone. Um, As I mentioned, the covers of both Always and Forever and A Chance at Love, which is Lorelai's book, and even to some degree, The Taming of Jesse Rose, there's a lot of blue, like the, I feel like all three have sort of a bluish kind of background. Um, It's clinch covers. I almost 100% positive all three men are shirtless and the women are, you know, um, not necessarily in a, like a full gown, but like they're in like a gorgeous like top and flowing skirt of the time period. So in some ways, if you can see all three together, you would think, oh, they may be related or it's, you know, this is all sort of connected. Now, Topaz specifically has a completely different cover. The, at least the ebook cover that I've seen, um, it's all dark uh, like sort of a dark, almost black cover. You see um, a couple very close, just their faces. And almost like you've got sort of a sepia sort of, nah, what's those? like a golden sort of brown overlay. So you're not really seeing them in color, color um, to be exact. Um, so it, it feels very different from this it reminds me of I think when I see the cover for Vivid which also seems very different from other books anyway I say all this to say because um now I realize that I've read these three didn't realize how they were interconnected because I didn't know that they were you know interconnected in any way and didn't really realize didn't put the pieces together until I read Always and Forever. Of course, the cat is like, I'm going to sit right by you and like myself in the process of making noise because, you know, again, all day was far away from me, not making any noise. But now it's like, but now I come over and I make noise? Punk. Anyway, so Always and Forever, right? We've got Grace Atwood and Jackson Blake. And I feel like this book is... I guess is sort of like for me at least a linchpin between these three um because if you read Lorelai's book right you obviously there's a brief mention of Grace and Jackson I think because Lorelai's part of this wagon train and Lorelai's book starts in Kansas City where the wagon train stops and all the women um, who came all the way from Chicago, meet the men that they chose to be husbands and go off to live their lives. Lorelai doesn't plan to marry anyone because she's a gambler. And she's just kind of like, I thought this would be a cool journey. Um, I wanted to do this. And she did it. Except, you know, she ends up meeting Jake, who is, I believe, just a farmer in the air. And he has two daughters. And his daughters are like, Lorelai's so cool. And they end up falling for each other. Um, and I really, that was, I think, the first one I had read. And I really enjoyed it. I really liked Lorelai. I liked the idea of a lady gambler. I think it's something that, again, when you're looking at, when you're looking at historical romances, when you're reading them, you know, there are a lot of professions that women just were you know not supposed to be doing or weren't allowed to do because women are just supposed to be at home raising babies all that nonsense and so we're seeing we get to see sort of like you know especially in romance like 
what will it be like for the women who were like, I don't care that this is what's supposed to be happening or this is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I am and who I am is perfectly fine because obviously those women had to have existed. And so we get to sort of see on the fiction side, like what that may look like. So I read that obviously, you know, was like, oh, cool. Um, then I, I think I read that one and then, or no, actually I might've read The Taming of Jesse Rose first, but long enough ago that I didn't, was it until now that I was like, wait a minute. So in The Taming of Jesse Rose, Griffin, um, who is Jackson's brother. So Griffin is the brother of the hero of the most, the one I just read always and forever, um, to sort of get out of being in prison he is like allowed to stay with this woman um who has is holding on to her branch or whatever because her band basically like left her is that wait now i'm like i'm like am i confusing this with prisoner of love because that also has a sort of similar storyline but not exactly so now i'm like let me make sure i'm not like confusing the two and and you're and you're like actually esther you are incorrect mungo and i'm like no how was i so wrong um let's see do, 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 do. come on blurb oh no this is terrible sometimes i click on the google books thing and then it does it, it it's very weird anyway so jesse has this ranch she doesn't want to lose it um, and she needs help to maintain it. And Griffin is an outlaw. I don't remember why Griffin shows up there. Oh, he does show up there. He is basically told, like, he has to help her or he's going to go to jail. Um, because he's been robbing banks. Or, not banks, trains. <laughs> or has he been robbing banks and trains? Nope, just trains. He's been robbing trains. Um, So basically, the I guess the whole thing is like, you have to help her and, you know, you don't get, you get to stay out of prison. If you don't help her, you go immediately to prison. And so Griffin is kind of like, I'm not trying to go to prison, so I'm going to help this girl. And so this Griffin, right, and his story, I don't think his brother, other than him mentioning that he has a brother, I don't think his brother makes an appearance. Um, but then I read, I finished reading Jackson's book his brother with grace which is what i always and forever and i think when i first like read something about griffin i was like oh and then as i kept reading i was like wait like that name sounds familiar and then i think it was when i once i got to the end i was like wait a minute and i googled it and i was like oh i have read the brother's book oh okay now what i think is really interesting um, these are not marketed as a series, as far as I'm aware. So most people are going to pick them up and think that they're just standalones. Um, and they can be read alone, like fully. Like you don't need to have read, you know, um, A Chance at Love, which is Lorelai's book, or to understand Always and Forever, which is Grace's book, to also understand a taming of the Taming of Jesse Rose, which is Jesse's book. To also understand or to enjoy Topaz, which I haven't read yet, but plan to, to understand Kate's book. What I think is cool um, in the way in doing this, it's like 
these are all set in the shirt at the same time period and characters are interconnected and they're brief mentions of each other and these books so if you want to you can read it all together and sort of put the pieces together but you don't have to which i think for people that get very overwhelmed at the idea of a series that is multiple books long and get like worried that they're not going to be able to keep track or it's just going to be too much i think that this is a really great way to have this like continuity or connection without it being a full-blown series and I'm trying to think of what other authors write books that aren't a series or aren't marketed as a series but do have this sort of connection between them right because I think that a lot of the times when we know that we're going to get a, a bunch of siblings or whatever we expect it to be a series because technically speaking you could have done them Always and Forever and The Taming of Jesse Rose could have been marketed as a duo, right? The two brothers. But their stories are so disparate and they're not, they're nowhere near each other. Although now I'm wondering if, I don't think Jesse is in Colorado because at the end of Always and Forever, um, Jackson doesn't want to stay in Chicago. He's not interested and staying in Chicago, um, but he knows that he can't go back to Texas because of Jim Crow, and he wants to be sort of in a city where um, Grace will be happy, so he ends up just kind of being like, what about Colorado, and she's kind of like, okay, although, no, I think everything of a different book, let me, let's see, it looks like I think that The Taming of Jesse Rose, oh, it's in Texas. Interesting. So, okay, that is really interesting because Jackson does leave Texas and it's kind of like, no. Part of it has to do because there it was a warrant out for his arrest because um, the man who did kill his father was trying to frame him for having killed his... So that guy who killed Jackson's father, also killed his own father, but basically was like, no, Jackson killed my dad. And of course, that man is why Jackson's black. So it's like, oh, yeah. Um, but yes, The Taming of Jesse Rose takes place in Texas um, because that's where Jesse's branch is. But we don't ever have a scene where Jackson goes to visit his brother, at least in Jackson's book. So it is possible that at a later date, um, so you can read the ser these books and think, oh, at some point they may have visited each other. Of course, this is still a time period where, like, it's not like you could just, you know, drive a car mad fast or get in a plane and be there. Like, there's definitely, um, a lot, a lot more distance between, um, oh, but you know who does show up? Kate. Well, not Kate, Dix who's married to Kate from Topaz. So it's interesting to me that she did that because again, like I said, once you've read them all, then you'll sort of have the, you know, oh, okay, I see who connects with who, but you don't have to necessarily do that. And I do think that sometimes when you're reading other historicals that are marketed as a series, it feels like, for example, The Ravenels by Lisa Kleypas, um, I technically read those completely out of order. I think I read Pandora's book first. Um, I read the first book last, didn't actually enjoy it, but the first book, I think, does a really great job of setting up 
the romance in the second book, which is Marion Winterborn, and having that added, like, those added scenes from the first book really sort of enriches Helen and Breeze's relationship in marrying Winterborn. That being said, I did not enjoy that couple at all. I mean, I liked him. She also, again, annoyed me. Um, and I did read that series out of order, but I think reading that series in order just really gives a really cool flow to you sort of see how things develop on top of each other to get to where you are. Whereas in this case, what Beverly has done has kind of been like, these characters know each other, but their their stories don't necessarily rely on each other's stories. Um, because these are, these people are connected in different ways. Like, Lorelai is only connected to everyone in that she was on that wagon train. And she, that's how she gets to Kansas City, right? Jackson and Griffin are both brothers, so that's how they are connected, Jackson and Griffin were friends, grew up with dicks, so that's how they are connected. Um, and so you're seeing like these connections, but it's not necessarily like this needs to be like a whole blown out series done in the way that we normally think of a series because that's you don't need that for the book to make sense. Again, I think it enriches the book and makes it like, oh, you know, it almost feels like Easter eggs, right? That's what I'm thinking, where you're just like, oh, I remember that character. Oh, I really like them. But even not knowing that, you don't miss out. Like the book doesn't feel incomplete or unfinished or. I definitely, though, had questions like I wanted um, Grace's cousin, who is the reason why she does this wagon terrain price. He ends up with Tess Dubois, I think was her name. I wish that there was like I actually I should look I wanted a novella of the two of them like Tess seemed really cool and I'm very curious like like how does that pan out right because we've seen arranged marriages all the time but this isn't like my dad and your dad spoke and decided we would suit this is your cousin rounded up a bunch of women based on the applications that they filled out and, you know, chose women who were literate and had experience and this, that, and the other. And by experience, I mean, like, experience with um, animals, ranching, farm life, that kind of thing. And then train them all to get them down. And then, you know, the guys, they're like, okay, this is... Uh, because the plan, the, the decision was made early on that the the women would choose who they wanted for husband and the men would stick by that choice. So instead of the women showing up and the men choosing, which would have felt way too reminiscent of like a slave auction kind of thing. Like it would have been a little too like, oh, so now you got to get, you know, like what if all the guys are obsessed with one woman and all the other women? It's like, no, we, we're not going to have that because each woman is going to pick a man and have his portrait and the information about him but I think that's such a different like way at looking at like a marriage of not a marriage of convenience but like an arranged marriage because again usually not usually but often we think of arranged marriages as like family members are coordinating this because they think it makes sense and this isn't that really because this is each man and woman is making this decision the men are like I need a wife and the women are like I need I want a husband, I need a husband, I'm ready to leave Chicago, whatever the reasons. And so they um, are choosing this arrangement, right? No one else is choosing it for them. They are choosing it. 
um, but in such a different sort of way of doing things. Um, there was also another character, Belle, who was with child, but, you know, um, because, of course, an older married man had lied to her and her father was going to throw her in the street because garbage. And so part of me is like, oh, I wish there was a novella about Belle and her guy and like what happens with them. I mean, I would love novellas for every one of the brides because I want more books all the time. Even though I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that I still have not read. It don't matter. It don't matter. I'm I'm fine with more. I'm fine with more. But I just thought that that was such a different and sort of interesting way of doing. So I guess it's not like, like I said, it's not marketed as a series. So I wouldn't consider it a series. But there is that like. You know, you're touching and you're like, ah, yes, okay, I see where this this connects to this and that connects to that and, and whatnot. Um, and then it's sort of like, um, oh, I had a thought and the thought flew away. Okay, well, if it comes back, it comes back. But if not, it doesn't. But yes, I definitely really, really enjoyed Always and Forever. I always enjoyed Beverly Jenkins books. Um there were moments, though, I feel like this is, um, there were moments that were very, very heavy, very, very dark. And I mean that a lot of that has to do with the fact that Blake, or not, I'm, his, well, his last name is, is Blake, so I'm not wrong. Jackson really wanted to avenge his father's death, and the man who killed his father does die, but he does not die at Jackson's hand. And Jackson has to go through a situation that is horrible, you know, and that felt really awful. Um, and it definitely made me think of like, what must it be like to know that you cannot achieve justice when you have been wronged, when you have been robbed of your loved ones in such a way like how strong do you have to be to get past that and to continue to live a life that isn't, you know, completely filled with bitterness and hatred? That was, and I think this book specifically, I mean, Indigo, I feel also is, oof, I, I love Indigo, but damn, there were moments where I was like, oh, ooh. I don't know. I don't know. So I think because there is the inclusion of the real history, there is, um, at least for me, a stronger emotional weight to certain actions, to certain scenes. Um, and that, that I think pays off really well. Um, because I mean, I'm, I'm reading for the emotions and all the, you know, all that. Um, so yes, so those were my additional thoughts on Always and Forever, A Chance at Love, and The Taming of Jesse Rose. I can't speak to Topaz because I haven't read it yet, but I've already borrowed it from the libraries so that I can read it because I was like, oh wait, hold up, hold up. Yes, I want to read their book too. All right, I'm going to pause here and then I'm going to come back and it's going to be gratitude attitude time. Woo!
All right, so gratitude attitude this week. Um, so the first thing that I'm really grateful for, I got to go see the Yayoi Kusama exhibit at the New York Botanical uh, Gardens in the Bronx, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I mean, going to check out botanical gardens, I think, is a lot of fun. It's really cool just to see flowers and plants growing everywhere. Um, and there was still social distancing or whatever. Um, so it was nice that, like, people weren't, like, necessarily on top of you. And I just really like Yayoi's, like, art. Um, the Infinity Mirrored Room was not open yet, it's apparently opening later this summer, so I'm going to go back because I want access. I want to go to that room, but I did really enjoy it. It was a, um, I took Friday off to go, so it was even nicer because it's like, I'm not working and I get to do this thing that's so cool. The second thing that I'm grateful for this week, so there's this place called Compton's and they have sticky tenders. It's basically just chicken tenders, like, um, coated in like, um, Frank's hot sauce, but kind of sweet sauce, yo, life-changing, them shits, well, a little bit, I like ranch dipping sauce, yes, I know, strange, not, I don't mind blue cheese, but if I have to choose between the two, I'm always choosing ranch, those are so, so good, I mean, it's bad that they, I know they exist, because I'm gonna want them all the time, but they're so, so, so good, life-changing, and then, the last thing that I'm ungrateful for this week, cotton sheets, guys. Um, The temperature in New York City has kind of spiked. It's weird, like last weekend it was all in the Fahrenheit. I would believe it's 90s. I don't do Fahrenheit in real life. I'm like, ew, gross. Um, I'm a Celsius kind of gal. So it was like 30 plus, 30, 32, 34, I think it got to on Saturday or whatever. So if you're like freaking out, that's in Celsius. In Fahrenheit, it was 90-something. Because, again, don't do it. But anyway, obviously that's hot. So having fresh cotton sheets is just like... It's weird because I feel like in my early 20s or whatever, like, sheets wouldn't have ranked as, like, anything to me. Because, like, whatever. But now, as, like, an almost 40-year-old, I'm like, oh, good sheets are so amazing. They feel so good. I sleep so well. Um, It's kind of funny. You don't think about it when you're younger. But as you get older, you're like, oh, yes. Good sheets. Good cotton sheets. Just happy place. Happy place. So, yeah, those are the three things that I'm, like, grateful for this week. I mean, as hot as it's been... I'm liking the hot weather. I'm sure in like two and a half weeks, I'm going to be like, this is bullshit. I'm burning alive. But currently, as of right now, I'm loving it. Loving. You know, I just throw on a dress and I can go. I don't need to put on other layers. That's great. I do need shorts though. But I'm going to have to go out and find some. But yeah, that's pretty much all I've got for you guys this week. Um, Sorry about being late. But I'm here. I'm here. You know, a better late than never, they say. Better late than never. I uh, don't know what I'm going to do for next week. Oh, oh, um, there's a fourth thing that I'm grateful for. And if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, then you've probably seen uh, my reaction. Um, both the international and North American covers for Archangel's Light, which is the next book in the Guild Hunter series, dropped and 
Nalini Singh is giving us, she is giving us, us the readers, she is giving to us Ilium and Aldan's book. It is happening. Yo. So first I see the international cover, right? And the international cover is always like the back of a body, like a, a person you see sort of like kind of from like halfway through the back of their head down. You see their neck always shirtless, whether it's a man or a woman, and there's like wings, basically. Um, and depending on like which character it is, the c- color of the wings obviously changes. It's a man on the international cover. One wing is blue and one wing is like sparkly white. And immediately I was like, Ilium and Aldon? Or Aldon and someone, or Ilium with some like other person that has sparkly white wings? What? And immediately I was like, oh my God, is this possible? I don't know. Like, because she is, you know, people have been asking for this pairing for forever. And it's been very like, I mean, I'll let you guys know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. It's very, you know no no real answer so then i'm working and um i see a twitter message it's like oh my god i was like go holy shit i go i look and the north america first of all the north american cover is very like reminiscent to me of like when you look up in like really old art places and there's just like two winged angels reaching out for each other um very like that kind of and that's what it is. It's Ilium on the bottom reaching sort of up towards Audan, who's kind of at the top of the image, reaching down and they're reaching out with their hands. And oh my, I stopped working, guys. I literally stopped what I was doing, ran around my apartment, screamed a bit. Luckily, my roommate was at work, so I didn't interrupt her life. But I literally screeched, screamed, laughed, pinched myself because I wasn't sure if like maybe this was a dream. It was not went back, ran around again, kind of like, is this really happening? This is really happening. Is this really happening? This is really happening. And I'm honestly, honestly speaking, um, beyond, beyond excited. I love, I, I've said it so many times. I am an Alini Singh stan. I stand for her. I, she gives us books that every time and uh i think i mentioned that i have an arc of last guard which is the next book on the side changeling yo that shit i have to reread it and i'm going to probably reread it at least twice more before it comes out i'm definitely gonna have an episode the monday before it comes out Ooh, wait i say that but i don't want to like be heavy on spoilers because it's just gonna be coming out okay so maybe i will I will let you know. I will let you know. Or maybe I'll be like, hey, guys, and then I'll be real, real crazy uh, about making sure that you know where the spoilers start so that you don't like um, have it destroyed for you because of my spoiling like a boot a hole, a boot a hole. Um, But I just I I'm so, so excited. Like, so like literally we were talking about like we're hopeful but what if we're wrong and then she was like actually we're not wrong so it comes out october 26th i cannot wait for october 26th i have a countdown already um hold on i think i can find the blurb because then the blurb also had me sort of like raising my eyebrows like (gasps) 
Okay, here it is. Ilium and Aldon. Aldon and Ilium. I may be saying Aldon's name wrong, sorry. For centuries, they've been inseparable, the best of friends, closer than brothers, companions of the heart. But that was before. Before darkness befell Aldon and shattered him body, mind, and soul. Now at long last, Aldon is healing, but his newfound strength and independence may come at a devastating cost, his relationship with Ilium. As they serve side by side in China, a territory yet marked by the evil of its former archangel, the secret it holds, nightmarish beyond imagining, things come to an explosive decision point. Ilium and Adon must either walk away from the relationship that has defined them or step forward into a future that promises a bond infinitely precious in the life of an immortal, but that demands a terrifying vulnerability from two badly bruised hearts. And I'm just like, oh my word, oh my God, oh my goodness, holy mother of all the saints. Like, I just, oh, it's, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Like, I, mm, mm, I'm very, 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 oh, and there's, because this article that talks about it, it's really talking about the cover, but someone, uh, I think it's the person who's the art director goes, the biggest challenge was capturing the tension in the image of the two archangels, two archangels let me say that a third goddamn time two archangels reaching for each other just before they touch um 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 (sighs) guys guys they're gonna be archangels so we're going to see their ascension in this book we have to because previous to this book they had not ascended they're going to ascend oh my god oh my god this this is it is beautiful and it is stunning and i am so so happy so happy so anyway uh this this made gratitude attitude much longer than i planned but this was definitely an additional thing that, whoa, girl. And you know what? October 26th, I'm not working because I'm going to download this book. I'm going to pre-order it. As soon as it downloads at midnight, uh, I'm going to start reading. And I'm probably going to read straight through. I'm not going to be able to put it down. So I've already um, gone into ADP and requested that day off because that's the kind of person that I am. <laughs> yes friends yes that is me that is i that is she that is me um so yeah anyway um thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it um i hope that if you've been like hesitant about historical you might want to try it i mean fine don't try other historical but definitely try beverly jenkins she is so good i think she does such a wonderful job and I think you'll enjoy her books. Um, and if you don't want to go towards the past, like she has her most recent book, Wild Rain, has another lady rancher, Spring. Um, so you should definitely um read that one. So yes, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves. D- Yo, it's getting hotter. Drink water, and you know what else? 
get like food and fruits that have high water content because that also helps and but what i mean by that cucumbers watermelons mm, delicious and high in water content so in case you're like but i'm tired of guzzling glasses and jugs of water as i am because i'm exhausted of that shit get you you know what i did the other day sorry this is um a wild tangent but i made a salad with feta watermelon a little bit of dill and oh it was so refreshing it was so good it was mm, chef's kiss so i'm just you know giving you ideas giving you ideas giving you ideas all right again thank you thank you thank you and i will talk to you guys next week bye